This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. I hope you're enjoying this re-air with Peter Flynn. We continue the conversation of the direction of his life and in his work. He's so incredibly and impeccably articulate that I just take away something new every time I hear this conversation. So I hope you enjoy this part two and keep on keeping on. Has there been any aha moments since you've started directing, be it big realizations on communication with another human? Constantly. <laughs> that's the, that's the answer. Uh, yes. Okay. Next question. It, it, it's called you know it's called rehearsal Tuesday morning. It really is. You know. So are mm. there some that stand out? Yes, of course. But um, I hope if we're all doing our jobs well in this business, we are constantly looking for that moment of consciousness that is new, because we're meeting. You know, every time you put up a show, you're meeting at least a small handful of new people, yeah. not just in actors, but in designers and in tech people backstage. And so, again, it's consciousness, right? Uh, uh, do, do we, are we conscious enough to know we are entering into new conversations yeah. and what are they going to bear, right? So I'll just start there o- yeah. overall. Um, I will, uh, a constant aha I have is, Am I communicating such that other people are getting it and can do their work? Okay. So clearly I can talk. <laughs> and you know That's a separate episode. I just want to hear an episode. <laughs> you know, but that's, but but, yeah. but you know, like so really, really okay. when I'm when I when I'm directing and teaching is, you know, is what I'm saying clear and useful so that someone else can do their work. I'm not going to be getting up on stage doing the show i'm not going to ultimately be doing the coursework Hmm. so i'm glad if i can provide stimulation i'm glad if i can provide inspiration i'm even happier if i am witness to the work for those people shoring up and being uh clearer stronger more useful for them so i see that my constant aha moment is does that make sense? Yeah. Is that useful to you? You know? Um, I do, yeah. And so that's, that, that, that is a constant aha moment. Um, another constant aha moment really, really, really is it is all process. It is all process. Um, I think it, it was an interview in, in Bog, with Anne Bogart, I think in, in American theater, this was years ago now, where she said and I'm paraphrasing, there is that moment when an actor standing in the middle of the rehearsal room will ask a question. And I have the time between when I put my hands on the table to stand up and walk across the room to look them in the eye to find the answer. And sometimes that answer is, I don't know. But it just (laughs) gave me such comfort to know because directing is a very... um, solitary experience sometimes we don't that's a word always yeah we don't always have the opportunity to sit in each other's rehearsal you know um and so it just brought me such comfort to know right you know it is all process and and we all come with questions and we all come with insecurities and we all come with uh is this going to be a good day of rehearsal how am i going to impact that did i bring everything that i wanted to just like actors do with you know did i warm up enough did i learn my lines oh my gosh what are they going to think of me when i'm doing this scene well you know we all do that i think and so what calms that down for me is well today is just part of the larger process so what do we need to get done what's on the schedule what would make us feel good about going home tonight and having dinner and feeling like yeah we got that done today mm. but it's it's part of a larger process yeah. that is a constant epiphany even mm. on the one-offs even you know doing this big northwestern thing we we were on a built stage in a stadium that was first of all new it hadn't been used as a stadium yet and in fact the day of the show the power went out for three hours in the morning and we had a you know this was a thing that was being shot for video and uh-huh. stephen colbert was hosting and anna gasteyer and heather headley and richard kind and tony roberts you know like star after star and we're just gonna get there that day and put it all together and the power's out in the morning 
Oh my goodness. You know, but but even on those one-offs, we're yeah. all there like, is this going to happen? Can we do it? Am I right for it? Did I bring what I needed to? And even in those moments as director, I have to stand and go, it's all process. We're just going to keep figuring it out until the show's over. Yeah. We're going to keep figuring out how we do this until we're all saying goodnight. Oh my goodness. And believe it or not, my that perspective, well, you're right, exactly. But that, that, per, that perspective at least opens up options. Yeah. You know, when the producer and I both have the moment of, oh my gosh, we've put two video packages back to back. We should break that up. So we're going to move this this musical moment in between them, which impacts the actors and the performers that are doing it, as well as the light cues, as well as the camera angles. But let's make sure everybody has that and then we can go forward and get that done. Right. At the best, that's exhilarating. At the least, it's clarifying. Right? Because we're all getting on the same page. But it comes from... Well, it's process, right? Nothing set in stone. Again, no absolutes. None. Yeah. Yeah. What has directing taught you about listening? To do it more. Next question. Uh, that's a great answer. To do it more. I don't think you can ever do it too much. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to leave that. Um, okay. And I don't usually ask these, but I'm so curious to ask you is there, if any, and the answer can be no, a challenge in directing a musical? Time. Time. Just time. You can always use more time. Yeah. And that's really, I guess, applicable to anything you're directing, not even just a musical. Sure. But, but musicals have the most moving parts. Yeah. Because yeah. there are composers, lyricists. Yeah. Actors who have to learn the music as and lyrics as well as their lines. Musical directors who are going to inform how that's done. Arrangers, orchestrators who are going to inform how the music underneath a certain scene plays and for how long and has that synced up with the playwright. Time. Dances, choreographers. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So, time. Yeah. Yeah. And... And buy-in, meaning, do we all buy this is a world in which people walk down the street and sing? Hmm. And have we established that such that we're all going to get on board with that and stay on board until curtain call? Yeah. Yeah. How do we enroll ourselves and the audience into this world has music? Yeah. And sometimes it's demonstrative, like Spring Awakening and the microphones. And sometimes it's subtle, like like Sondheim. Yeah. Of uh, this thought is big and I need to explore it more. And there is the music and the light change. And now I have the space and the height in which to explore this more. And I have brought you along with me. Mm. That's very special. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I want to transition here. Oh, my goodness. So, little tidbit. We've been going for an hour. Okay. Great. Thank you for having me. Yes. Good night. Okay. Um, I'm a little over halfway done. <laughs> Should we uh, continue on our way here or uh, we can hop over to... Whatever you want. Great. So, I want to talk a second. Great. <laughs> Great. I want to talk a second about theater as a business. I learned a lot about that from you at Stella Adler. So, we're going to transition here maybe from directing a little bit to more teaching. Uh, at Stella Adler, particularly in the classroom. Um, points that you like to stress. Pitfalls of actors. Anything comes to mind initially, right off the bat? There's more in your control than you think. What do you mean by that? Well, you're running a business. You say you're an actor in the theater. Yeah. Do you know what that means? Have you trained properly for it? Do you know uh, when I teach at Stella Adler... One of the backbones of our class is you're in the business of self, which means inherently you need to know two things, the business and yourself. And both things change with regularity. So talk about no absolutes. Where did you learn to ask such honest questions? From not asking honest questions throughout my career, especially early on. Because that's from, a great trait. <laughs> you know, from, 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 and from observation, what works and what doesn't. Hmm. You know, I've been very, very fortunate and I'm very grateful to have worked with several smart, generous, 
craftspeople in our business. And so I get to ask them questions. I get to fall on my face in, in front of them and with them. And I get to learn from their effectiveness. Yeah. We all do. It goes back to where we first started. Are we conscious when we are having those experiences? Yeah. You know, so first thing, as a business person in, in theater specifically, are you conscious of the business you are doing while you're in rehearsal? How do you use your lunch? How do you use your breaks? How do you use the meet and greet in how you introduce yourself? Does that have to be always on your mind? No, but if you're just starting, why not? Right? Mm -hmm. It's just, I will say this. I remember the first time I got into the first car I bought on my very own. It was used, but it was new to me. I was so conscious of how I drove that car for the first three months, how I parked it, how fast I was going, how I had to turn it at intersections, where all the light switches were, where the blinkers were, where the wipers were. Was I using too much of the uh, wiper fluid to clean the the windshield? I mean, I was really conscious of how I'm driving this car because it's my car. And I invested money in it and I'm not going to get in an accident and I'm going to conserve on gas and I'm going to make sure it stays clean. I like the way it looks. I feel cool in it and there's plenty of room for my family. Boy, was I conscious about that car the first three months. Yeah. Some of that consciousness stayed until I sold it, which was I liked keeping it clean. I liked keeping good tires on it. Mm. Right? Like that those things stayed conscious in me. Did I relax about how fast I was going? Well, of course I did. But that was because I was confident in whom I was as a driver behind the wheel, right? So the, the metaphor continues to are you new in this business? Are you trying it out while you're in rehearsals? Even if you get out of school and go right into a Broadway show, whom are you being? That people can say, oh, that's Peter. Right. He's the guy that X in rehearsal. Mm. You're, I, you're going to be one of three things. You're either going to be, oh, Peter, right, that great guy. He's so great because he loves to run scenes. Or, you know, he's funny but super concentrated. Or, boy, does he know a lot about, you know, the history of American theater. Or whatever that ignites them about you. Yeah. Or, Peter, oh, well, I sort of stay away from Peter and here's why, uh-huh. right? Or I think sometimes worse, Peter who? I can't remember. You're talking about Peter, but I, I don't remember him from that rehearsal. Hmm, right? Yeah. So whom are you being around the work that you've just gotten? Yeah. Because so many times, and this comes from personal experience, we get we feel like we've grabbed the brass ring with every job. And indeed we have because we're freelancers and we got that job. Congratulations and well done. But now as a freelance worker, as an entrepreneur running your business, you are constantly doing two things at the same time. You are working at the job you just acquired while you work to get the next job. And sometimes they go together very well. Sometimes that's called doing good work so that the director or the artistic director or a fellow actor or the writer says, this is great. This is fun. This is good. You're terrific. Let's do it again. Mm. Right? But be conscious of that. What are you bringing to the table in Mm. your conversation, in your identity, in your prep work? Yeah. So, so, so how, how are, again, how are you being conscious as a workman, as a work person in our business? Yeah. You're bringing up, I mean, this has been an hour of great points. You're bringing up some great points right now in regards to the work ethic and the self you bring to like even the meet and greet because it all, it all matters to a degree. I think there's an interesting point in there that some may think, well, you know, how real am I being if I'm always thinking about all these things and how I shake hands and um, hugs and what kind of hugs do I do? You know, that whole thing. Because you'll feel good. That's how you'll know it's being the real you. 
I'll take it back to running again because for me, running is life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm beginning right? to realize that. <laughs> you know, it really is like, you know, I can try running different ways that people recommend. I can try running in different shoes. I can try different paths. At a certain point, it's going to sync up and I'm going to say, yeah, I love, this is how I run. And how I get there is by rigorously consciously saying, these shoes work, these don't. This path is really fun. It keeps me engaged. I'm enrolled. I keep wanting to run farther. This one doesn't. It's really uh, sort of quotidian and, and, you know, pedantic. And so I'm just going to, you know, stop running at a certain point. Mm. I sweat more in these clothes. I sweat less in these clothes, right? So I'm I'm being rigorously conscious about that so that when I'm finally doing the run I like holistically, I don't have to be conscious. I was conscious in the preparation. Uh, How about that? If we are conscious conscious in our preparation preparation. about whom we're being in the room, like we want to be conscious in our preparation for the work at hand, Mm -hmm. then you can take your hands off the wheel. You don't have to really... I mean, think, right. but you don't have to. Right. It's the, it's the same thing for preparing whom we're being in the in the room as we are when we're preparing our work. Like uh, some of my greatest mentors and teachers say, if you are really preparing your research and really preparing your understanding of the world of the play and the conversations you want to have with the actor and the conversations you want to have with the, the designers and the questions you want to ask at the table, then all of that can be put in your back pocket and you can just be in the room. Because all of that stuff is at my disposal now. I don't have to consciously keep it in the fore of my mind. It's there already. I've conditioned myself for it. Right? Mm -hmm. Same thing about being in the room. How are you conditioning yourself in the room? Do you know who's directing? Do you know her work before this? What theater are you working at? Are you familiar with their work? Are you familiar with what they did last season? Are you familiar with other actors who have worked there? How are you conditioning yourself for the experience you're going to have around rehearsal? Now you can be free to be yourself. You don't have to be hyper-conscious because if you're asking all of those questions or trying to monitor while you're doing it, you're being inauthentic. And to be very clear, I'm not looking for inauthenticity. I'm looking for authenticity. And that comes with preparation and willingness. Yeah. And a sense of collaboration. Yeah. These are There's a lot of mic drop moments you're doing right now, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Thank uh, you. Yes. Yes. What has, what has directing taught you about leadership? It's about really without any sentiment. I mean, it is about service hmm. and it is about the bigger picture. Okay. How can I help and what are we all working on that is larger than any of us? That's key. Yeah. How have you dealt with rejection? Constantly. <laughs> how am I dealing with it? <laughs> how have I? How am I? How do I? Um, because we all do. You yeah. know, um, oh, yeah. when I was uh, in the brief period that I was a, a, an actor on Broadway, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I walked in, I was in the Broadway production of Scarlet Pimpernel. It's where I made my Broadway debut, and it was a, a, an abundance of good fortune. I walked in one night to sign my name on the call board and someone had cut out a, um, a statistic they had found in a theater magazine and posted it that said, the average theater artist hears no more in a year than a civilian does in a lifetime. The average theater artist hears the word no more often in a year than a civilian does in a lifetime. And it shocked me and also brought great comfort that I wasn't crazy or alone, right? So how do I deal with it? I allow myself the experience of disappointment and or surprise and or upset because that's natural. And when I say allow, it's, it isn't pretty. It's not a moment I like to dwell in. 
but it's got to be there. I want to mark because because I invested in it, right? Mm-hmm. Disappointment comes from investment, right? We really wanted something. And didn't get it. Right? Yeah. Even when we're kids, we're going to the beach. And you wake up, <laughs> thunder, pouring rain. We're not going to the beach. Yeah. I really wanted to go to the beach to bring it back to what we're talking about because whether I'm conscious of it or not, my toes felt the sand. My son, my face felt the sun. Huh. My ears heard the waves. My body felt the plunge. Yeah. We invested in that, in that anticipation and yeah. that experience. Yeah. And so the disappointment is the shaking off of what we held as important. So I think disappointment and rejection or, or disappointment from rejection is a very important thing because it points up our humanness, but it also points up, wow, I really cared. I really invested in this. Wow, I really cared. I really cared. I really invested in this. But again, yeah. it takes rigorous consciousness. And that's hard. To be conscious in disappointment is really hard. No one wants to be conscious in disappointment because it doesn't feel good. To say, I'm disappointed because I thought I was right for this job. I prepared for this job. I imagined myself doing this job. I could feel what it would be like to do this job. But that rejection plus reflection is where you grow. We hope, sure. But follow that through then, Clay, right? So then... The, the, the rejection that leads to disappointment and then you put that with reflection, again, that's a moment of consciousness. So then the reflection wants to become consideration so that consideration becomes preparation. And now you're back on the path. On to the next. Right. Yeah. But every one of those steps we just talked about is consciousness. Takes work. And standing yeah. still and takes work. You know? Well, because by nature, so badly when you're rejected, you just want to forget about it. Right. That's well, a human it thing. That's a human good. thing. Yeah, and, it, it and it doesn't feel good. It's not just about re- forgetting about it. It kinesthetically, physically doesn't feel good. Hmm. My heart gets tight. Hmm. And I get a little bit of vertigo. And my arms get tense. My shoulders get tense. Right? And, and who wants to stay in that? Oh, yeah. But then you yeah. start looking at why did it happen? And why did I care so much? And yeah. what could I do differently next time, if anything at all? Yeah. Right. Um, sometimes it's a matter of context and circumstance. They needed somebody taller, shorter, older, younger. Nothing to do with you. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's that's that that's yeah. the impersonal part of this very personal business. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody's a different understanding of the job than mine, a different perspective than mine jived more with the writer or the theater or the producer's understanding of the show. That happens constantly. What would I want to do differently next time? That's a different question than what could I have done differently? What would I want to do differently next time? Well, ask different questions. Find out more information. It depends on the next job. But now I'm into preparation. Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you. I hope it's useful. It is. And this is something I noticed as you know people who stay in per se this business longer get better at dealing with rejection we hope i hope for myself some people maybe not i think there's that there's that mental that thought process though behind it of like okay on to the next well i don't want to repeat what you and again but again right clay no absolutes right so it is per person it's more about being conscious of what do you need in your process there are people who need to lament disappointment largely and with time and really dwell in the that sucks i hate it and that is an integral part of their development okay as long as somewhere in their psyche or their experience and certainly in their business they know that is a useful part of their development have at it Right? Yeah. It, it, it's, it is not unlike um, when someone close to us dies, 
you know, very recently I had a death in my family and I was, a, I was all of a sudden very aware, almost anthropologically, at the number of people saying, give it time, give it time, give it time, be patient with yourself, take care of yourself, really make, make room for the feelings you're going to have. And I really was taken aback by it because I felt pretty high functioning, mm -hmm. right? And it made me realize, oh, sometimes it's about other people's, like they need time. And so they're being generous to me to say, you'll need time. My sense of time and their sense of time could be wildly different. A weekend could be a long period of time for someone. Mm -hmm. A month could be a long period of time for someone. So when we get back to how do we experience disappointment and rejection, it needs to be a per-person investigation so that it stays useful. If a weekend of disappointment is useful, good on you. Mm. If a month of it is because you are really healing something and resolving something and reflecting on something for that month, good on you. Mm. Only you can know that. But you want to know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's something you want to figure out. <laughs> Otherwise, you get back to the first question we were asking, which is, why does this keep happening to me? Uh-huh. Yeah. One way or the other, you're going to get to the, when does this change? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So some logistical, I'm curious on logistical questions for you because you're a high functioning individual. I'm curious how you schedule your day. Day by day. Okay. Do you give yourself time in the morning to center or are you out of bed and you're going? Yes. Or it, like you wake up centered. And yeah, yes and yes. No, I don't wake up centered. <laughs> the honesty period period but 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 i do consider the time it takes me to center myself whether that is reflection in my journal or uh prayer or jogging huh. i consider all of that to be a part of getting out of bed and hitting it. So like when you said life is, an, is, full is a full sport. contact sport, yeah. the preparation is part of that full contact. Right? It the is. conversation you and I are having is founded, is integral to how I quote unquote started my day. Huh. So why separate that? Why not let the start of my day, however it occurs, even if it's consciously, I'm in my journal, I'm going for a run, be a part of how I'm quote unquote hitting it. Hmm. Why separate it from the juice and the vitality it's going to give the rest of the day? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I do. No, so, I do. So I guess I it's do. just for me, it's, 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 a, it's, it's less of a category and more of an integration. And I don't, for lack of a better phrase, I don't treat the start of my day with kid gloves. Like I must have this time of reflection or meditation. I will... I will plan on it happening, but I also know it is integral to me hitting the day full tilt. And so if the journaling and the jogging and the praying interface with the making the lunch for my son and getting him to school and answering an email that I know needed to be answered last night, but I didn't get to it, I will, I will very consciously say those things can happen either while or around what is called preparing for the day. I see that. I see what you mean. Funny side note. I woke up this morning to my alarm and it, for the first time I've ever, never, ever thought this before. The alarm went off and I was like, it was a, it was, you know, the iPhone alarm. It was one of them. And I was like, the tempo is very fast on that alarm today. Mm. And I had never experienced that before. Mm. I don't know if it's because, you know, like you have like four different ones and mm. you just change the time. So you mm. don't really know what sound is going to be mm. on each one. Mm -hmm. And it went off this morning and I was like, oh, I just expected something a little slower to wake me up this morning. <laughs> I had never experienced sure. it before. Sure. And I was like, oh, and oh. here we go. I'm, I'm doing an up-tempo already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was hoping more of a ballad. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I've never right. had that thought before on alarm, yeah. but it was just, it popped in my head yeah, when you were totally. Explaining the integration of your morning. Yeah. Do you write down goals to achieve them? Do you write them in your brain? Like, how do you, how do you set a goal and achieve a goal? I think we all write them in our brain. I mean, no absolutes, who knows? But right. I think we, as far as writing them in our brain, it's a beautiful phrase, Clay. Yeah. I think we all write them in our brain. Um, do Thank I write you. them down? Yes. Now, because goals to me are a part of organizing my day. So, is that the journal? Well, sometimes it's the journal so that I have goals that are right now dreams. Mm. So there are those kind of goals. 
I also have goals of by the end of the day, I would like this to occur. That's a goal. Mm. I would like to be finished with this amount of work in this experience by the time Hudson's home from school. That is a goal. That is a goal just like I would like to win a Tony Award. Yeah. But really, same yeah. thing. Huh. One gets written somewhere with certain descriptives and hope for paths around it. And another has a very logical, linear, uh, visible path toward it. Yeah. They're both goals. Is there an outside-in approach or just an inside approach that you use for yourself when you get fall off track? To like get back on track with something, uh, Peter Flynn never fall off track. No, I think fall, well, I think you know it's it's less about track for me and more about path. Okay, because track necessitates precision, and I think in my work and my perspective of our industry, it is more about direction and journey than it is about precision. Precision is a tool in the journey and in the, along the path, but it is not the way. So do I go afield from my path? Yes. What do I do when I'm off it? One of two things. Ooh, I better get back on path or, oh, look where I am. Is this useful? You know, I, I, from my parents' training, from the rigor of this happens by this time, polish your boots, carry the water upstairs, wait for us to take our showers before you open your stockings. All of those examples I gave you is a very rigorous, organized structure, right? Yeah. So I have structure in my DNA. I have structure in my, my core. So I am grateful for that training. For me, it is the reverse that is the challenge. I always know how to get back to my path. Sometimes it is a greater challenge for me to stand still and say, did I get off my path for a useful reason? Did mm -hmm. something occur without my consciousness that now if I apply consciousness is as useful as finding my way back to the path? Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. You, you have an insane amount of balance, like a seesaw, and I just see on one side precision and the other side I see path and like no absolutes mm. and I'm I, it's like I almost dare I say a theme among mm. high performing individuals individuals they're mm. great at adjusting the sails on the ship perfectly and the second the waves take them off course they readjust the course is different you know the end right, game is still right. there but there's always this like it's okay you know it's a path not a track right right well, I just you have a great balance of that. And I want thank to, you. I want to mention that. This thank you. Area. Well, and, and it, 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 the balance the balance is in the movement, right? So I think you've I think you've struck Clay a very apt analogy of the seesaw, right? So a seesaw in balance is when it is in motion, which means that all things are at play, not one or the other. It's not sitting. It's, right. Exactly. Yes. Somebody's not yeah. up in the air, and somebody's not down on the ground, or somebody's not when it's working really well doing that hopefully accidental thing that happens when we're all young, which is I'm done with the seesaw, I'm getting off. And the other person comes crashing down you know, and, and their spine reverberates for the next week, right? That's not when a seesaw is working best. When a seesaw yeah. is working best is when it is in motion. That's when it's in balance. We don't ride a seesaw to make sure each of us is standing or sitting stock still in That's the not air. The game. That's not the utility or the enjoyment of the seesaw. The seesaw uh -huh. is I'm going up, I'm going down. You're going up, you're going down. Uh -huh. We're helping each other do that, right? So yeah. the precision and the focus and the journey and the path yeah. both want to be in motion so that each one knows the other is in existence and working. 100%. 100%. If you could do a TED Talk about something that you're not known for, people don't know that you do or know about is there anything that comes to mind faith can we can we expand on that for a few minutes sure what are your views on it faith is believing in something we cannot prove or in which we are not in the presence and it is essential to 
my future that I can in my core believe there are things past that which I know. It's vital to my well-being. Some people do that through a religious faith. Some people do that through a personal growth of independent study. But I would be very happy, fortunate, and grateful to spend time researching the human experience of faith and then bringing that to an audience that wants to discuss it more. Mm. I agree. I agree with that. That faith is very important. Yeah. I'm thinking now I'm thinking about it really hard. It's necessary. Maybe. For some. For no some. absolutes. Right. Is it? I don't know. I don't know if it's necessary. I find it necessary. And it reboots its essential nature in my life perpetually. That's very um, The Alchemist, the book mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. you. You know, mm -hmm. to, you know, and that's in that book too. It's mm -hmm. like, well, you, I mean, you may see it because you're thinking about it, but they don't. Right. You know, it's right. no absolute. As you know from our, our time together in class, you know, I, I like to use food a lot as an analogy because I think everybody eats. Right. But some people are vegetarians. Some people are carnivores. Some people are gluten free. Some people just don't like pickles. Right. I don't know. Until we have a conversation about what you like to eat huh. and why you like to eat it. Right. So, yeah, faith is the same way. Is yours religion based or is it more like a spiritual separate spiritual practice? It started or? as a religious my father w was a devout Catholic and he wrestled with the dogma of Catholicism, but he was able to persevere in the sense of faith and wonder and gratitude that I believe is in the foundation of, I hope many religions, but in my father's experience of Catholicism. Mm. So it started as a rigorously Catholic childhood and I went through everything. I was a, I was a altar boy. I went to parochial school for a while. I was on the parish council. I sang at mass, you know, all of that. Mm. And I think the good things I got for my life out of that were a sense of the theatrical. There's nothing more theatrical than a Catholic high mass. People are in costume, you know, bowls are smoking, I... <laughs> people are singing, people are chanting, people are saying things together. There are processionals, so there are musical numbers. It's a show. You know, at, at, at Christmas time, there are special lighting moments even where we look at the nativity and then we look at the Eucharist. You know, it's like, it's amazingly theatrical. Uh -huh. So I got that from, from that, but, but, but also, yeah, it started, my faith started as a religious experience of there is something, my father taught me, there is always something larger than us and it can have a direct relationship with how we are living. Huh. Whether that's a being or an experience or a sensation, there is something for me larger than us. Huh. Are you still on the path to your purpose? Do you feel you found your purpose? Yes, and my purpose continually reorients and presents itself to me. And you love that? I'm grateful for it. Short answer, yeah. yes, I do love it. Yeah. I'm 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 in grateful I'm in the it. core like of my life. And I'm grateful for how much I enjoy that. But my purpose changes. Our purposes change moment to moment. Mm. Our right. purposes change moment to moment. Sure. So here's the example. My purpose right now is to be speaking with you. That is my number one priority. I'm the father of a 14-year-old. I say quite responsibly, that is not my priority right now. I have taken care of that priority such that you and I having a conversation is the priority. Huh. I'm confident in how I have taken care of the 14-year-old in his life 
that it's, he is not the priority right now. And that's good. That's okay. Right? So my purpose as a father ebbs and flows the way my purpose as a friend ebbs and flows, the way my purpose as a director ebbs and flows. No absolutes, right? Mm-hmm. And the more I know in my life there are no absolutes, the more my life can ebb and flow with priority, like a symphony. Mm-hmm. This is going to swell. This is going to get quiet. This is going to get really fast. This is going to get really patient. And the more I can understand that, that those each are essential to me and integral to me, but all take priority at different times, the more I am aware of my purpose. Mm. Does that make sense? Complete. Yeah. And because of that, more opportunities come your way. I hope. I hope. I can't. No absolutes, right? Um, 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 yeah. Life presents, yeah. well, opportunities, yes, yeah. opportunities and occasions. You know, I just want to be careful with the word opportunity because I think our culture has co-opted the word opportunity into good fortune or the next big thing. But if you really take opportunity at its definition, then sure, yes, life constantly presents us with opportunities. Period. We have the opportunity right now to finish the conversation or continue it. We have the opportunity to have lunch together or not. We have the opportunity to decide to write a play together or not. Right? Does life present me with good opportunity that are that I still consider serendipitous? Of Holy smoke, they want me to direct that show? Fantastic. On the one hand, I can say, I know exactly why they chose me to direct that show. And on the other hand, I can look at it and say, that's just great timing. That's faith. I just saw two sides of a seesaw there as well. Yeah. What? Okay, we're coming down to the end here. So I just have a few more for you. What mistakes have you made that have proved essential in learning? Not listening. Great answer. Not listening. Yeah. Yeah, for me. Be, being <laughs> absolute. Okay. Leading with, I know. Right? Yeah. And not allowing any flexibility in there. Not allowing any flexibility. Right. Oh, yeah. I know. Conversely, you don't know. Hmm. Only I know. I guess that, that's what I'd say is, is, is that's the mistake. Only I know. Huh. And leading with that. That happens with regularity. Huh. Okay. How do you define, how do you define success? Now. Being present. That I am able to look around my life and know that it is working well. And I mean that without sentiment. You know, mm-hmm. how do I define success? Sure, I'm doing what I want to be doing. I am very, very fortunately and very gratefully a working director in theater in the city in which I chose to live with a great family and I'm a teacher of really stimulating, interesting student actors. That is my success right now. At a certain time, I did not know parenthood would be part of that success. It is now a part of my success. At a certain point, I didn't know teaching was going to be a part of my success. It is now a part of my success. So success, just like the business and ourselves, evolves. It does. So right now, it's looking around my life and looking and realizing or being able to be conscious that it's all working. Hmm. Yeah. What do you what do you believe that others may think is insane? <laughs> it's not about the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people would think you're insane about that. <laughs> oh, a lot of people. A lot of people in our business. It's not about the money. Going okay, one a follow up on that. Is there any common piece of incorrect advice you hear often? 
uh, is there any common common piece of incorrect advice? I don't think so because advice is just someone's perspective. You know what makes it incorrect? If if I hold if I white knuckled if I white knuckled that advice and it's not working for me. I don't think incorrect advice happens in the giving. I think incorrect advice comes in the well it must be so so I'll do it. Yeah. That's a good answer. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard it like yeah, there's spoken just like that before, but that makes complete Yeah, there's sense. just advice. And then we try it on. And if you try it on once and go, whoop, not for me, great. Yeah. That's still good advice because you learned in the contrast. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a period in your life where you felt uncertain? If so, how did you deal with it? Yes. And often. I ask for help. I ask for someone's perspective other than my own. Those two things. I ask for help and I ask for other people's perspective. That's what I keep coming back to in considering that question. Is there a text you refer to daily? Is there a text to which I refer daily? Or often. There are uh, there are a few. Um, uh, there are a few texts that I keep with me. Um, Marianne Williamson's Illuminata. Uh, okay. It is loaded with reflections and meditations that marry everyday living with the challenge of the world and that which is past us. Um, it used to be Harold Prince's Contradictions, but it is now his book Sense of Occasion, which is his reflections on the book Contradictions. And so it is his point of view over an entire career of uh, success and challenge. Okay. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' book The Beautiful Struggle which is a chronicle of his life with his father and what he gained from that perspective. Do you have a most gifted book or a book that you've gifted the most? A beautiful struggle I give with regularity. I also give a small book by E.B. White called Here is New York. What is that about? It is E.B. White was a writer of fiction and also a journalist, and he used to write for The New Yorker. And he was asked, after he had moved out of New York, having been a bona fide Gothamite, to come back and visit New York mid-20th century and journal his experience. And since then, it has been republished, and the publisher puts a forward in saying, this happened several years ago, and what he found to be true is still true about New York, which is, it is always itself, and it is always changing. Uh-huh. And so I give that often because I love New York, but also because it is a great template for our experience. We always have what we have, and we are always changing. I love that. And it's a great read. Do you have a best, most worthwhile investment, be it money, skill set, or time? Family. Why? I know there's an, there's an obvious answer to that, I think. Well, family yeah. takes me off the grid for a while. Family, family, family surrounds me with people who know me in some ways, and again, without quotes around it, better than I do. Because they see me when I'm asleep. They see me when I'm just waking up. They see me when I'm sick. They see me when I'm celebrating. They see me when I'm grieving. They know me. They know me. And so I want to invest time back so that they know they are known as well. And so that the level of authenticity and comfort stays high, stays full. How do you, how do you view happiness? As a part of life. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Is is there a um, is there a quote or a word or a phrase that you would put on a billboard metaphorically for millions of people to see? Try thank you. I like that. And that's the whole phrase. Not not Clay, you should try thank you, but Let's if you look at a billboard and see, try thank you. Do you write a lot of thank you notes? I do. I love to write. I love to write letters and I love to write thank you notes. Because it's an old fashioned thing? No, because it's such a fulfilling experience because it's, you know, the that, work. I, <laughs> that I get that I get to sit at, at you know, um that I get to sit with my own pen and my own hand and in my own hand recall an experience that was so superlative I have to reach out to someone and say thanks for being there do you remember what went down was it this way for you here's what was so superlative for me and it was superlative because you were there mm. come on yeah that's recycling shared experience yeah it is yeah Oh, I love that. Try thank you. Peter, this has been a joy. Likewise. Absolute joy. Likewise. I appreciate Very you spending so. this time with me. Thank you for spending the time. I really appreciate it. Where can we find you? Is there a, you have your website if we want to reach out. Sure, my website. Um, Which is Peter Flynn Director. Director.com. Yep. Right. And I'll list there. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Yes, you are. At Peter Flynn 212, I believe. Okay. As you can tell, it's. It'll be in the show notes so they yeah, can just click on it. So you can find me there. And uh, you can find me around New York. I like hanging out. Yes. Well, I loved hanging out with you. So thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. Peter Flynn. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.